Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Matters. Uh, today we are going to discuss a very popular topic, a topic in which many have reached out to us to see if we could discuss, and that is the topic of sermon preparation, uh, the process of preparing a sermon to preach from reading the text to preaching the text. Uh, so brother, walk me through your sermon preparation process. What do you typically do, uh, and what is the order you typically do it in? Yeah, so uh, I begin, first off, uh, with prayer. Mm. And that's something that's very often overlooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before I open up the Bible, I, I, I first you know, just recognize the fact that I don't know what God is going to say. Mm. Um, uh, one of the things I tell my students is that uh, you can understand nouns and verbs and direct objects, indirect objects, adjectives, adverbs, prepositions, and pronouns, and so on. Uh, but if the spirit doesn't speak, you know, it's not going to make as much sense as, as you think it is. You can understand grammar and you can understand language and you can put together sentences and understand what they, what they mean on that level. But until the spirit of God moves, these words are and phrases and sentences are just going to stay on the page. They're not going to take root in your heart. Uh, and so before anything, I go to the Lord and just say, God, I need your help. Um, I need your help to understand this. I need your help for this to uh, uh, to dig deep into my heart and into my mind. Um, consume me with your word. Mm. Uh, that's that's been a prayer that I've prayed for years now. Consume me with your word, um, and then I go in faith. I open up my Bible and and I say, all right, let's get to work. <laughs> so uh, the beginning part of the process is is exegesis. Um, I'm, I'm just reading and I've got my notepad and, and nowadays my iPad and, uh, and I'm just scribbling, I'm scribbling notes down, you know, everything that I'm seeing, uh, I spend time in the languages. Uh, I try to, uh, to get a good ample time in the, uh, in Greek and Hebrew and so forth. And, and I'm working my way through, you know, just what, what is he saying? You know, uh, I'm, I'm looking for things, you know, what you're looking for divisions. And yeah, things like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Paying attention to kind of the literary, uh, flow of the, of the, of the, of the text there. Um, you know, what, uh, what are, how do the clauses relate to each other? You know, what's the, what's the logical flow? Uh, in the argument, I'm looking at that. Are, is there uh, any repetition, you know, in terms, uh, any repetition in concepts, and so on? And I'm I'm working my way through all of that, uh, hopefully uh, to a point that I can say uh, in a sentence or so, this is what this uh, passage is saying. This is what it's saying to us. This is uh, uh, this is this is what you know the author, say Paul, Isaiah. Solomon, whoever it is, uh, this is what he's what he's saying to us through this uh, through the scripture. Um, then I go from there and I say, now how does this connect with all of scripture? Uh, because I have a conviction that that if I'm going to preach, I want to preach Christ. Mm. 
and uh, and and Christ is you know the the centerpiece of Scripture. He's the focal point of of the Scripture. So so how does this text connect with the overarching plan of God in Scripture, uh, in the exaltation of His Son? Um, and so I'm, I I do my work on that. You know, connect dots with other scriptures and and so forth. Uh, and then after that, I'm really I, I feel comfortable enough that that I can start thinking through the expositional process. So now that I know the flow of the of the of the text, what's the flow of my of my message? And the flow of my message, I want to be as close to as to the flow of the text as it possibly can be. Yeah. Um, and what's my what's my main idea? Well, I want my main idea to be as close as possible to the main idea that 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 I'm uh, recognizing here in the text. Um, how does it connect with Christ? Okay, well, what am I going to say to my people to to point them to Christ? You know, through this text, uh, and and yeah, so all of those things, and then practical applications and all of that. Yeah, all of that. That's kind of the step by step, you know, in my process. I go through exegesis. And then as I think through exegesis, then I'm thinking kind of the canonical, you know, what's going on in all of scripture. And now I get into exposition and I start thinking about what I'm going to say uh, to uh, to my folks. How long does it usually take you on average mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from beginning to end of your sermon preparation? And is it is it pretty consistent or does it change depending on the text yeah. that you're in? Yeah, I say it takes a few weeks. Um, I give myself a couple weeks, uh, one, because I want to I want to have time to get into the languages. Uh, I, I just want to see what's going on in there. Now, would you say that was the same even when you were pastoring in Baltimore that you give yourself a week or was it different? No, no, no. When I was pastoring, I, w- I would okay, do that. Okay, it was weeks. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I would try to spend uh, at least a, a, a few days, wow. uh, you know, just looking through it. And especially if I'm going through a larger text. You know, so an Old Testament narrative or something like that, where I've got a lot of verses, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, even though I, you know, I, I I can hang, you know, with with the Greek and the Hebrew, if you throw me, a, you know, a story like David and Goliath, which is well into a, you know, if I remember right, it's somewhere around sixty verses or so. Uh, give me a week. You know? <laughs> give me so some time. So you would say it's like super important for you to stay disciplined and on top of it because if you require that much time, waiting to the last second means exactly you ain't getting it all in. Exactly, exactly. And I just want to see how this how this text flows. I just want to see what it what you know what's going on here. Uh, are there things that are there in the languages that may not be there in the English? You know, mm-hmm. or at least you know, there's there's there are nuances that I can pick up on as I'm going through the languages uh, that that really enhance what I'm reading when I read it. You know, in our in our uh, English translation, so I want to pay attention uh, to those things. So yeah, I give myself a, a time so that I can do that. Um, now there may be some passages where I need a lot more time. Uh, so I remember um, when I was uh, preaching uh, through the Gospel of Luke, and I got to chapter 16, uh, verse 18, which deals with divorce and remarriage. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to have to think through this pastorally, uh, and I want to make sure that my that every word that comes out of my mouth is exactly what I need to say, and I'm not I'm not going too far to the right or to the left, you know, uh, in terms of saying something that will completely derail the message or anything like that. I want to make sure that I'm I'm true to this to the scripture, 
I want to make sure that I'm true, you know, uh, and and loving pastorally, uh, and so on as well. And that that for me just took a lot more time and a lot more meditation and a lot more prayer. Uh, so yeah, you're uh, you may have some texts where you say I'm going to need more time with this. There may be some that may be a little bit more difficult to understand, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got to do your homework and uh, and think through that. So yeah, uh, it may take some more time for you uh, in those regards. But yeah, I give myself about. You know, at the very least a week, um, but but normally I want to have more than a week just so I can I can kind of live in the text for a mm-hmm. little bit. So we've talked about this before, going back to kind of your process. Mm-hmm. One of the things you do is you you typically wait towards the end of your preparation to put together the introduction and the conclusion to your message. Uh, why do you do that? Mm, yeah, well, uh, part of the reason <laughs> just simply is. I need to know what I'm going to say first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't introduce a message if I don't know what the <laughs> message is. Uh, so, <laughs> Plus so. you fall into the trap of relying so much on your introduction that that's what shapes the message. Right, 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 right. Uh, same thing with illustrations. I, I usually keep my illustration, uh, my, my work in illustrations at the end. Uh, I want to make sure that I know what I'm saying. Mm. And once I know what, what and, and really what I'm saying, I want to know what the scripture is saying. And so uh, I can't illustrate a point that I, you know, am unaware of. <laughs> um, yeah. I need to know the point first, and then I can illustrate it. I need to know the point of the of the message, and now I can introduce it. Uh, and I, if I know the point that uh, that that's there, and I want to drive it home, now I can give a conclusion in there. So I want to make sure that I'm doing my work first, that I'm doing my my homework. Uh, and then I start thinking, okay, how can I say this? How can I introduce this in a way that really draws attention to the focal point of the text, you know, yeah. the main point here in the scripture. And then once we've gone through the message, now I'm thinking, okay, how can I conclude this and wrap this up in such a way uh, that that folks are actually leaving home or, or uh, leaving for home uh, with a, a good sense that this is what the scripture is saying and this is what God requires of me. It's mm, good. Uh, do you usually consult multiple translations of the text that you're in, uh, and why is that helpful to do mm-hmm. that? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, I, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I know folks are coming in with different translations, yeah, and I don't want to say something uh, that may cause them to kind of scratch their heads and say, "Well, wait a second, my my scripture says this. Why does your scripture say that?" Uh, also, different translations may have different conclusions. Uh, on on the on the text, so they are looking at the Hebrew, just like I'm looking at the Hebrew. They're looking at the Greek, just as I'm looking at the Greek, and I may translate it one way, and they may translate it different ways, and they may not even agree with each other. Okay, uh, uh, an example of that is in Psalm eight. In Psalm eight, uh, you see uh, out of there, out of the mouth of babies and infants. In some translations, it says, "You have ordained praise." Uh, but there are other translations that say you have established strength. Uh, so now you go, okay, well, which one is it? Is it ordained praise or is it established strength? Well, if I don't know that because I didn't look at the translations, uh, then I don't know that I need to answer that question. Uh, and so I may have to do some work by after looking at the translations to say, okay, well, which one is it? Which is a better translation for that? And then I can address that in my message. Uh, if not, then I could say one and someone else is looking at a Bible that may say the exact opposite, 
And they're looking at that and they're going, why in the world did pastor say that? You know, what's he, (laughs) what's he doing? You know, as he's looking at the text, uh, he said, you know, uh, establish strength and mine says ordain praise. And what is he doing? You know, does he not want us to praise the Lord? And then their mind is broken or is he broken? Right, right, right. And now their mind is gone, you know? And so you want to make sure that you're, uh, that that you're paying attention to those different things. Another thing also is different translations can be really helpful with your wording. Mm. So, I may look at a translation. I go, wow, they said that in such a really uh, uh, impactful way. Uh, they just they just captured it with better wording than I than I ever could have come uh, come up with. And I can say that, hey, this translation says this. I love the wording, the way that they worded that in this translation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, all of those things can be really helpful with your preaching. So so you you mentioned that you you do look at the Greek and the Hebrew. Would mm-hmm. you say that the pastors should consider knowing the biblical languages? Do you think it's required mm-hmm. to know the languages before you preach a text? Yeah, I I always caution against saying it's required as if uh, to say that if you're not versed in Hebrew or Greek, you're not really preaching. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that. I don't think that's true. Um, there are tons of pastors around the world that have never... <laughs> Yeah. You know, learned Greek or Hebrew. And I believe wholeheartedly that they're preaching the scriptures mm. uh, and that, you know, what they're saying is uh, biblical. So I so I want to be I want to be careful with that. I, I don't want to say it's a requirement, but I do absolutely recommend that uh, pastors learn this, learn the, the languages. And here's the reason. There are things that just simply get lost in translation. They just do. Uh, and that's not even Hebrew or Greek to English. Uh, that's any switch from any language to another language. There are things that just simply get lost in translation. There are idioms uh, that uh, that you may have in the original languages that you don't have in English. And it just takes something away. You know, some of it is an art, uh, an artistic thing. Uh, that, that there are things that just kind of get in the way of... of uh, um, uh, when we're trying to translate it, we just simply can't translate it that way. Uh, but it's there, and there's even you know sometimes you'll find scriptures that are just humorous <laughs> in the uh, in the original language, and and you lose the humor, yeah. you know, when it goes into English because it's not funny in English, <laughs> but it's hilarious, you know, in Hebrew <laughs> or something like that. Um, there are other things uh, in terms of structure and so on, uh, and and what I'm thinking here is, uh, say if you're reading if, if you're preaching the Psalms and you get to Psalm 111, Psalm 112, or you get to Psalm 34 uh, and and these other Psalms that are acrostic Psalms. Okay. Well, you look in your Bible and your English Bibles, they're, they're not structured acrostically. Yeah. Okay. And as you're reading it, you're going, how in the world do I outline this, this Psalm? It's just, it's, it's, it's misery trying to figure out how to outline this Psalm. Well, the reason I think that it's difficult to outline the Psalm is that's not the structure of the Psalm. The strong, the Psalm is an acrostic Psalm. And so it's structured alphabetically. The problem is we don't have the same alphabet. Hmm. 
And so it doesn't work in English like it does in Hebrew. But you can see it as it as it is uh, in the original languages, and you recognize the uh, the beauty of the text. You recognize some of the nuances that are that are uh, present there, and you can be able to bring that into your into your message uh, in a, a much better way. There's also uh, one other thing I'll mention, and uh, and and with this I'm thinking more about the Greek, although it's there in the Hebrew too. Uh, there are uh, many, many words that you'll find in uh, the languages that just simply yeah, aren't translated the same yeah. way in English, or they're translated the same way in English. A, a good word that I could think of is love. Mm, yeah. All right. You go to the Greek, you have multiple words for love. And each one has, you know, a, a slightly different nuance, you know, and, 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 and so forth. But in uh, English, it's love. <laughs> yeah. Well, which love? What are we talking about? You know, uh, what what nuance to this love is there? To the text, knowing yeah what the love in the Greek is being referred to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, there are things that that you may lose, or or things that you may not be aware of uh, that are going on in the languages that you'll just be more aware of if you're reading the language. And we've been blessed to have really good resources, a lot of which have been written by our own faculty. Oh yeah. Uh, on the languages that, that help you if you don't have a good background uh, mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. in the languages. Uh, but it's always good to have. And that's something I tell students because you know students on campuses, on the campus of Southeastern, they're always hesitant to take those language classes. But yeah. trying to tell them, like, this is this is good for you. It's good. To do these things. It's good. And and may I say this to, to students who are taking their, their language courses now. Um, uh, one thing that helped me out when I was going through uh, my Greek classes, going through my Hebrew classes and several other languages. Um, what, what helped me was to have my Bible, you know, at close hand. Mm. So if I was going through my Greek, say if I was in Greek one and I'm learning these new words and I've got my vocabulary and I'm learning, you know, uh, my paradigms and all of this, what helped me was to take my Bible, and if I remember right, I think I went to the Gospel of John because someone said that John was the easiest you know, uh, to, to read. And so I did. I, I opened up my Bible, and I started reading the Gospel of John. And, and granted, I had no idea what half of the books or half of the words were. <laughs> I was just happy that I could actually sound them out, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and everything. But I was already in the work of applying it, you know, as I was reading the scriptures. And I remember I had moments where where, you know, I even kind of teared up a little bit as I was just going, I am reading Mm. Greek. I don't know what it says yet, but I'm reading it. I can recognize letters. I can recognize, you know, all this. And the more the further I went in my study, the more it made sense. And and here I am now, you know, uh, with my Greek text in hand and so on. I'm looking at it and and there's so much more that I see and recognize and, and everything just because. You know, it, it's been with me for all of these yeah. years. And I've even seen you do it when we're having discussions and you pull up your, your iPad and you start looking through it and just how yeah. you, you process the text in its, in its language. And that's been extremely helpful for yeah. me to see that. Absolutely. Uh, how much do you typically utilize commentaries? Because I know this is another big thing mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we're talking about sermon preparation. So so how, how much do you use them? When do you use them? And, and, and what are your favorites if you had to pick? And I know that's a hard hmm. question because, yeah. you know, you could go through, well, my favorite in Romans is this, but just kind of some good series yeah. for, for people to, for pastors to consider. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do use commentaries. Um, I 
I'm very picky <laughs> when it comes to, to commentaries, who I use, when I use them. Um, I'll, I'll ask, answer the when first. Uh, when do I use commentaries? I use commentaries uh, once I've done sufficient exegetical work that I can have a conversation with the commentators. So you don't run to them right. early on. Right, right. The, uh, the commentaries are not the answers in the back of the book. Okay. If that's the way that you are that you use commentaries, um, humbly, you're using them wrong. Commentators can't answer every question. Number one. Number two. Commentators don't ask all the questions. Uh, you need to know what questions you need to ask, <laughs> and what questions need answering, and that comes from doing sufficient work in the text. Once I've done my work in the text, and I may have even come to some conclusions, interpretive conclusions and so on, on what, what is going on in the text, then I get into the room with the commentaries and I, and I have a conversation. Like I, I always envision, you know, I've, I've got these guys here, you know, these commentators, and, and I'm sitting at a round table, if you will, and they're giving me their input on mm -hmm. what they think the, the scriptures are saying. And now I've got a seat at the table where I'm able to go, yeah, you said that, but, but you know, this verse over here says this, and, yeah. and you're not accounting so for that verse. So there's healthy interaction. It's not just That's saying what it's about. the commentary said this. So this is the the right answer, and I'm right. wrong. So you're 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 critiquing it. Exactly, of. exactly. And what I've found for myself is that the conversation, the interaction that I have with them, is so much more fruitful, hmm. because there are things that they'll see that I don't see, and there are things that I may see that they don't see, yeah. <laughs> and I may go, "Oh, you didn't account for that," you know, and 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 I, I think that this is right, or I may hear, uh, say, a commentator say, "Here, are, you know." 12 different views on this on this verse, you know, whatever that verse may be. Here are 12 different options. And I may look at those options and I say, you know what? I may not agree with them, but I'm really glad that I know them because it actually sharpens my eyes and it helps me in how I process this. And I may come with a come up with a conclusion. I say, here's why I believe this view. And I don't believe, you know, that this view is what the scriptures are saying. So, so yeah, it's much more interactive this way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just, just to be honest, there are a lot of commentaries that are out there that just aren't helpful <laughs> for the preaching process. Uh, they're good to know, you know, they've got good information, but they don't help me in the preaching. I'm not going to go in and tell you, you know, what, um, uh, you know, some historian, you know, in the first few centuries of the early church said, that's not going to make it into my sermon. Yeah. Uh, it's good to know, but it just doesn't help me, you know, forward in the process of, of, of uh, doing a sermon. So anyways, you asked me what, what commentaries I like. I've got different categories. <laughs> so they're exegetical commentaries that I, I really, really like. Um, Baker exegetical is a good one. Uh, uh, the the pillar uh, New Testament uh, commentary series is a really good one for New Testament. Um, uh, let me think of some more. Uh, New International commentary series is 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 helpful. Um, there there's some that are more helpful than others in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, in that commentary series, uh, same with the uh, New International Greek. Uh, if you if you know Greek, um, uh, that that can be very helpful too. And then there are others that I would put more in the expositional side. Uh, so some of them are 
uh, sermon, uh, you know, books of sermons, you yeah. know, say like the Christ centered exposition. exposition series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, uh, the Bible speaks today, you know, which was, uh, much more of, a, a series of, uh, John Stott and, uh, Alec Montier, uh, who did, uh, many of the commentaries there. Uh, Tyndale is another one. Uh, and there's several others that are in that, uh, that category. And then there's some that, that try to bridge the gap, you know, like the NIV application, uh, commentary where you know some of them are actually really helpful with exegesis and uh, and then there are others that are really helpful with exposition so really the question you need to ask is one uh, does it help me read the text better you know is it is it is it getting me into the scriptures and and recognizing some of the nuances that are going on in the scripture a little bit better and does this help me communicate it better? Yeah. Uh, and and so, yeah, you know, th- those are the ones that I tend to lean towards much more. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned was about having a conversation with the commentaries, and it's just like yeah. you're sitting there having a conversation. One of the things that pastors might want to consider is having somebody else read their sermons and, mm. and walk them through their sermons before they preach them. Absolutely. You know, you've done this with me a few mm-hmm. times now, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it would just be a good way to see if there's something that you might need to change or explain or you know, just it, it might be a good walkthrough. Yeah. Before you preach. Yeah. If you have a church with a pastoral staff, if you have uh, elders, um, if you have folks who have walked with the Lord and are able to uh, uh, to give you some input, you know, in, into uh, into the scriptures, into your message, and so on. Hey, bring them into a room regularly and say, hey, let's talk about this. Um, it's helpful with elders to say, hey, help me think through what I need to say to, to our church family. Yeah. You know, how, how can I shepherd our flock well? And they'll give you input and tell you things uh, that, that may be helpful and, and so on. If I could also say it's good to have a group of folks if I can say it this way, regular people. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's one thing that I, I'm, I'm constantly saying with my, uh, with my students, uh, with my uh, Bible exposition students. They'll get together, uh, you know. They'll they'll do their work in their in their exposition messages, their sermons, and so on. And they'll get up and they'll preach. And one of the things that I'll say on a regular basis is, "This is good. It's it's not a bad message. It's a good message." But who are you talking to? Uh, if you're talking to the seminary crowd, that's great for our class, but that doesn't prepare you for life outside of seminary. You're going to be more than likely in a context where the vast majority of the people in your sanctuary yeah. are not seminary trained students or seminary trained graduates. And they don't care what the Greek version of this they is don't. every single verse you're going through. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not that those things aren't important. Those things are absolutely important, but you got to learn how to yeah. talk to people. It's like people. the iceberg analogy yeah. where there's yeah. a lot of work at the bottom. You only see a little bit at the top. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one thing that I've I've uh, used as an analogy in my class before is um, it's like your uh, HGTV shows. All right, <laughs> so you got these big home renovation things, and and uh, and they come in, and you know, let's say it's an hour long show, and you're you're in there, you're watching them, they're tearing down the walls, you know, they're they're gutting it. Of course, they look and they go, oh my goodness, you know, there's mold, you know, behind the walls. We didn't know that, you know, that's gonna that's gonna take, you know the very next segment on the episode and so and so they do all of this and then it's finally done it's sparkly it's clean it's modern you know and everything and then they bring the family over and if you notice when they bring the family over they have the big reveal and the big reveal isn't them sitting back looking at the tape of all the things that they did yeah 
No, the big reveal is the finished product. All right, so they look and they go, oh my goodness, look at our bathroom, look at our kitchen, look at all these different things, that's wonderful. What happened to the tools? Where'd the old wood go? Where'd the old drywall? And all, no, all of that is gone, okay? They see the finished product. Now, you love, and we the viewers, love to see the how-to, right? We love to see you know, all the little ins and outs that happened leading up to the big reveal. But as an analogy for preaching, uh, you're talking to people, you're talking to your congregation, and as you're talking to your congregation, you want them to see the end result. Uh, they don't need to know all the work that you went into <laughs> to yeah. get your message uh, to where it was. Uh, you know, they they don't necessarily need to know unless it's absolutely crucial to the text what is said in the Greek or in the Hebrew or all of that. That helps you so that you can more effectively communicate to them yeah. what the scripture says. Okay, so so. Um, Remember that you're talking to regular people. They're not seminary trained, you know, or so on. Just tell them what the scripture says and tell them why it should matter to them. Hmm, that's good. It's kind of like an iPhone. Like there's so many different things that go into the making of an iPhone, but yeah. most people don't care about it. They just yeah. want the iPhone. They just want, yeah. want yeah. the iPhone. Uh, so I'm going to combine the two questions into one. Okay. Uh, so you teach a, a sermon preparation class here on uh, the campus of Southeastern. Mm -hmm. What are some common mistakes you see students make when prepping for sermons and and what are some temptations pastors can face as they're preparing for sermons hmm. let me let me break it up into a couple of things um, one an exegetical thing and one an expositional thing if I could do it that way uh, exegetically I'm noticing that there are a lot of folks who are missing um, the the structure of the text Mm. Uh, so they're looking at the scripture and I think that their mindset is I need to draw out some principles from the text. So I'm looking at the text and and I, I need to draw out different aspects that I think are are really important or things that I think are really uh, necessary for my people to know and 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 so forth. Um, I would caution against that and I would say, as an alternative, pay attention to how God speaks in this text. How does the author, you know, God obviously being the ultimate author, uh, but how does the human author, Paul, David, Peter, Jude, you know, how do they say what they say? Okay. So uh, if this is a psalm, what are, what are the stanzas in the psalm? What, what are the strophes in the psalm? If this is a narrative, what's the plot? What are the scenes? How do they unfold? Okay. How did the author say the things that the author said? And, and try to get as close to that as you can in your outlines and, and, and in the structure of your message so that you're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Uh, but rather, your job is to say what God said. Okay, on an expositional side, uh, I think that that there are folks who who may need to spend a little bit more time in application. Um, I had a professor who used to drill this <laughs> over and over again with us. He used to say two words: concrete specifics, concrete yeah. specifics. And what he meant by that was was really simple. Uh, if I'm talking abstractly, 
uh, application is going to be very abstract. It's going to be vague. It's it's not it's we're not we're not touching the ground with this. You know, we're just we're just kind of you know being vague. You need to pray more. Okay, I need to pray more. You're not going to do anything with that. <laughs> because you because it's vague, it's abstract, yeah. all right? But if you say, "Hey, tomorrow on your way to work, instead of turning on your podcast unless it's this one, please turn this one on. We, we really appreciate that." Um or music or 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 something like that. How about you in silence, you just spend your time yeah. uh from A to B with the Lord, just talking mm-hmm. to him in prayer. On your way home from work, just spend time talking to the Lord in prayer. You have time, why don't you use that time? Well, now I've given you a concrete, specific something that yeah. you can take with you now when you leave something the when you, when you get you in the car, here. you're automatically going to think about Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I push uh, uh, students, uh, 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 preachers, kind of young uh, uh, folks in the ministry, and I tell them, be as concrete and specific as you can. You're only helping your people out because you're giving them something that can kind of capture their imagination, if you will, as they leave out from here. They can think, okay, I've got some ideas, some pictures of what this looks like. Now I want to implement this into my life. Mm. Uh, So yeah, on the exegetical side, get as close to the scripture as you can, especially the form of the scripture. Get as close to it as you possibly can. And in terms of exposition, be as specific as you can in your applications and so on. Show people that this really is uh, God's word to this real world. Mm, So good. Uh, Last question. What are some really good book recommendations for guys looking to get better in this area or who are just interested in in sermon preparation? Hmm. Well, there are definitely some classic ones. Um, uh, There's John Broadus's uh, on the delivery and preparation of the scriptures. I think Mm. I I got that right. I always get those mixed up. If it's (laughs) delivery and preparation or preparation and delivery. I think preparation and delivery is the more logical one. Uh, So on the preparation and delivery of sermons, uh, that's a really good one, uh, a classic one. Uh, More recently, uh, uh, and by that I mean about 40 years ago, uh, there was Haddon Robinson's book, Biblical Preaching, uh, which is a great book yeah. for just going step by step through. Um, uh, Brian Chappell's uh, Christ-Centered Preaching is a great one. Uh, our own Jim Shaddix uh, and Jerry Vine's Power in the Pulpit, that's another good one to kind of go step by step through the scriptures uh, uh, and step by step through the process of, of exposition. Um, there are many, many books uh, kind of in those same veins. Those are the ones that kind of come to the top uh, as I was thinking. Um, but yeah, yeah. And then there's some that are that are great to read, you know, just to get a feel of what biblical preaching sounds like yeah. and looks like. Uh, books like, uh, you know, our, our good friend Eric Redmond, uh, his book Say It, uh, which is looking at sermons from an African-American context, you know, but you're looking at uh, the sermons there and this is what, you know, what biblical preaching looks like, you know, what it sounds like, you know, when you're when you're sticking close to the text. Uh, you know, these, yeah, there are plenty of books that are, that are out there and, uh, it, I definitely would recommend that, uh, some folks pick them up and, uh, and, and even incorporate them into their own yeah. process. And even if you don't do exactly what they're doing, it's, it's always helpful just to see what other people are doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely, uh, consider looking into those. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. We want to thank you, uh, again, for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors to lead healthy, disciple-making churches, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. Yes, and as always, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.